Good morning. Our gospel reading today comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I call today in between Sunday because we're in between uh, the new year and in between Christmas. It's always a really strange Sunday to preach. Um, You know, it's quiet. We don't have all the music, all the decorations have been taken down. Uh, The crowd's always a lot smaller. We can't even make up our minds this morning if we want to sing Christmas carols or if we want to sing uh, hymns. We're doing a little bit of both. We couldn't make up our mind. I want to ask a question. How many of you have already taken down your decorations? Raise your hand. Uh, Some of you are already ready to turn the page, ready for the new year. How many of you still have your decorations up? Yeah? How many are going to leave your Christmas lights up all year? Don't raise your hand. Don't, please, please don't raise your hand. Uh, please take your lights down. Um, please, please do that. Well, today we're going to focus one more Sunday, one more Sunday on the Christmas story. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Once you stand for the reading of the gospel. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star, and it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the peoples, chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for that is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. As they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now let me just make a point right here. Let me pause. Did you hear the word house? He didn't say stable, did he? Let me make a point here. Sometimes what we do is we confuse Luke's story and Matthew's story. So let me clarify a few things here. The Magi, first of all, were not kings. They were wise men. They were astrologers. They advised kings. Why do we think they're kings? Because we sing a song, We Three Kings of Oriadar. But it is not, they were not kings. They were wise men. They were advisors. They were astrologers. They advised kings. They would look at the stars and discern the times and report to the king. The other thing I'd point out to you, we don't know if there were three of them or not. It says nowhere in the story there were three of them. In fact, it wasn't until about the 4th century 
when St. Augustine said there were three of them, because why? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Three gifts, three kings. Maybe there was four, the fourth one lost his gift. It didn't get recorded. We don't know. But we don't know if there was three kings or how many kings. And then finally, I would point out to you, they do not show up at the stable. So if you have a, a Christmas nativity scene at your house and you have uh, three kings in nativity in the stable with the animals and the shepherds, that's not how it happened. Now, you don't have to, I'm not trying to, you don't have to go home and saw the crown off the king and, and put them away in the box. I'm wrecking your, I know I'm wrecking your Christmas story, but the reality is that they showed up about two years after. Jesus evidently was still living in Bethlehem, it was living a normal family life when they showed up in Bethlehem. It's really important when you go back and look at the two stories and to look at Luke and, and look at what is Luke trying to tell us about Jesus? What is Matthew trying to tell us about Jesus? Now there's a reason why we don't read Matthew's story on Christmas Eve. Why? Because it's a darker story. The Luke and Vigor of the version of the story is a much happier story. So it says here, they bowed down when they saw the child and his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, George, you made me think of this a moment ago. I want to add this. The greatest gift that you can give Christ for Christmas is yourself. To present yourself to him this Christmas. Not just your gold, your frankincense, or myrrh, but to offer yourself. To return the gift of life he gave to you by returning your life to him and knowing him. If you go through Christmas and you don't meet Christ, you've missed Christmas. And it says, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the reading of the word of God. All God's people did say, you may be seated. The Christmas story is the most important story ever told. It's the most famous story ever told. And it's a story that we need to hear. We need to hear it. In fact, it's, it's, I, Scott and I had an argument about this after the first service. We almost came to blows over, over Star Wars. Because I said in the first service that more people heard the Christmas story than the rise of Skywalker. And I said, a hundred years from now, nobody will be talking about Luke Skywalker. They're going to still be telling the story of Jesus. Now, maybe that's debatable. But on Christmas Eve, thousands upon thousands and millions of people gathered to hear the story. Why? Because it's an important story. We need to hear it every year. After a year of struggle and pain and strife and division and worry and fear, and anxiety, the world we live in. One of our elders in early service said, in 2020, Lord, we're hoping for a better year than we had in 2019. So much sorrow. After a year of all this struggle, we have to gather at least once a year and be reminded God's with us. God is with us. That's the whole point of Matthew's gospel. Matthew says Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us in this world. 
And everywhere we look in the world, the story is still being lived out the same way. There are people who are preparing for the birth of a child and making space for a child in their home. There are people who are worried about the safety of their child. All around the world right now, there are people like Jesus, Joseph, and Mary who are being forced to flee violent circumstances and situations in order to take care of their children. All around the world, there are people who are secretly plotting and scheming to protect their position and to hold on to their power. All around the world, there are people who are living in fear and need to hear the words, fear not. All around the world, there are people who are living in loneliness. We are still living in the days of Herod. We are still living in the world that Jesus was born into. The world that he came to then is the same world he comes to now, and we call it the incarnation. God made human flesh. We celebrate at Christmas the reality that God entered into the world of Herod. Herod represents the dark side of the world we live in. Who was Herod? A maniacal, paranoid, narcissistic king who was willing to push people around all over the earth in order to maintain his power. Did you know that he murdered three of his own sons to hold on to his power? And Caesar Augustus said that it's better to be a pig in Herod's family than it is to be one of his three sons. He was married to three women, which is trouble enough. Um, that was not good. One of the older men told me to say that in the earlier service, and I regret it because my wife is sitting right over there. One wife is enough. I... He was married to ten women, and the woman he loved the most, his most favorite wife, he ordered that his assistants kill her if he ever went off and never came home. Why? Because he didn't want anybody else to have her but himself. That's the kind of man that he was in the story. So this story, what this story is, it's a dark story. We need to hear it. It's darker than the other story because it represents the world we live in. So my first point I want to make from the story is, is that we need to put Herod back in Christmas. We need to keep Herod in Christmas. We need to tell the story at Christmas that the world needs to hear, the whole story, not just the sugary, sugar-coated things you see on a Hallmark card of angels singing, we need to put the Christmas story in the middle of a world where Herod still lives, where Herod is still causing chaos and pushing people around like Mary and Joseph. And let me just make this point. There's a little bit of Herod in all of us, right? There's a little bit of a wise man in all of us. We're seekers, but at the same time, we don't welcome Christ too. We resist Christ too. We want to protect ourselves. We want to protect our place. We don't defend others. We don't want to be vulnerable. There's a little bit of Herod in all of us. We need to put Herod back in the story because the idea that Christ was born in that world of blood and guts and tears and, and tight-fisted greed is the world we're living in and that Christ came into that world and that we long for him to enter our world. The miracle of Christmas is that Christ, born in this world, is still in this world that's ruled by Herod's. Now, here's the second point I want to make. Did it occur to you that the very first 
human words spoken in Matthew's gospel is a question. Where? You get this big opening, the genealogy. It's setting up Jesus is the one who's come, and Matthew's making this claim that he is God in flesh, and Joseph never speaks. And then the first word spoken is where? Where is the king born of the Jews? Now, this is pretty interesting because Matthew's making a pretty big point here. He's got these two wise men, by the way, who could not be too wise to go to ask the king who was a bloodthirsty tyrant, who is the king? Where is the king? When he was looking at the king, because they knew what that could mean. They could die because of it. Matthew's making a big point. He's saying, he's not the real king. The Herods of this world are not the real king. The people who push around the poor and the defenseless, and they're not the real king. So, so that question in the gospel, says, this is the cry of the human heart. Where? Where is the king the world's been waiting on? When is he going to come? Where are we going to find him? We're not finding it here in the world we're living in. And let me tell you, it doesn't take a wise man to know we need a new kind of king. All you have to do is look around the world we're living in and look at the way people use their power to protect themselves and to hurt the poor and the vulnerable and how religious people compromise themselves in order to lick the boots of people in power in order to have the benefits of power. We need a different kind of king. And so in this gospel, what's happening is Matthew is setting up a dynamic contrast between Herod, the kingdom of Herod, and the kingdom of God that Jesus brings. First words out of Jesus' mouth is, the kingdom of heaven has come near, it's here. Repent, turn the direction of your life to me and to my kingdom. He begins to call apostles, and then he begins to preach. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed. And then he describes, that's what his kingdom looks like. It's completely opposite of, of Herod's kingdom. Blessed are the powerful. Blessed are those who crush the weak. Blessed are those who, who only care about themselves. Blessed are those who persecute. He's drawing a distinction between the kingdom of God that's here for the vulnerable and the weak, for the least of these, and the kingdom of Herod. And you know what's really remarkable? This is, this is so incredible. This is why it's the greatest story ever told. Because you can go to Jerusalem today, and you can go just the three or four miles from Jerusalem and go to the top of a man-made mountain called Herodium, which was a palace built for Herod, where he's buried. And it's in ruins. And you'll find just a few people walking up the side of the mountain. But no one's there to worship him. They're there to pity him. But down in Bethlehem, you can see Bethlehem from the top of Herodium, and you can walk down and find the Church of the Nativity, the oldest church in the Middle East, maybe in the world, the oldest gathering of Christians in the world, and see that thousands upon thousands upon millions of people from all races, all socioeconomic groups, are going there to worship the true king, the one born to poor parents who were refugees, who are being pushed around by 
the king. The third thing I would bring out to you in this story is I want you to notice who has the first human speaking part in the story. Not a religious person. Magi. I want you to think about this. The first word spoken in a Jewish gospel that's written to a Jewish audience was a pagan astrologer from Afghanistan, Iraq, or Iran, somewhere in that area. They asked, where is the king? What does that point make to us? The point he's making to us is that salvation is bigger than us. Jesus doesn't belong to just us. He's the Messiah for the whole world. Here's what's interesting to me, too, is who... Who brought them to Bethlehem? Not The star didn't bring them. Who put the star in the sky? God did. Look at this. They didn't understand anything perhaps about Judaism or about the Jewish religion. They weren't Jewish. But what does God do? They, maybe they didn't know the scriptures. But God put a star in the sky and led these foreigners and outsiders to Bethlehem to make it clear to the world through the gospel that the, there are no insiders and there are no outsiders in the kingdom of God, and that all are welcome. And I would point out to you that even when the church really screws up and doesn't communicate the true message, and the message of the church is a message of exclusion rather than inclusion, God is still going to find a way to bring people to him. God needs the church to bring people to him. He put us on this earth to bring people to him. But when the church doesn't do his job, God's going to send a star to bring someone to him. You see, the religious elite and the scribes, they knew him, but they didn't know him. Point out to you, they don't go looking for him. Who goes looking for him? Pagans and foreigners. This is my, my next point, is that sometimes we will choose power over truth. Look at the people in the story. The scribes where the experts in the religious law and the priests ruled the temple. Why did they not go look for the Christ child in Bethlehem? They knew where he was born. They told them that. Why? Because it feels good to live in the palace. There are benefits to licking the boots of the king. I'm not just talking about the political situation we live in in today's world. For thousands upon thousands of years, Christians have been confused about who we're here to serve. We're not here to serve those in power, in prisons of privilege, but we are here to defend the cause of the poor and the defenseless. To remember that we serve a homeless refugee who was born in other poverty, who had to flee for his own life with his family because of a tyrant like Herod. And when the church, when the church aligns itself with any political power, gives its loyalty to anyone other than Jesus, who is for all people, the church loses, the world loses, and the church loses its authenticity and its truth. We must continue to be faithful to choose truth over the benefits of power and privilege. I'm preaching now. 2,000 years, 1939, a ship pulled up into Miami, loaded down with 900 people from Europe who were Jewish. 
Roosevelt, the president, and the people in this country understood and they knew what was happening in Germany. But rather than risk public ridicule for welcoming the immigrants into their country, they sent them away. They knew the truth, but sometimes we choose the benefit of power over the truth. And they sent that ship back to Europe where a majority of them suffered and died in a concentration camp. We have to remember that the gospel and the church must always defend the poor, stand up for the poor. And I'm not just preaching an empty message. That's why we're building a house right now for a refugee family who are Muslims who are from the Sudan. That's why often many times a year we go down to under the bridge and we feed the homeless with hip-hop carrots. That's why we're feeding people once a week with a handful of guys, old, retired guys. Go down to Wayside Christian Mission and feed the hungry and meet and be with men every once a week. The next point. So, put Herod back at Christmas. Where is the king coming from? All people are welcome. We must choose truth over the benefits of power. And then finally, Matthew's making this point. He's the one we're waiting on. He's the one that we're waiting on. This one that the Magi found in Bethlehem, this Jesus is the one the world is waiting on. I remember when we moved here, I was so excited to go to Churchill Downs. You know, you see it on, you see it on the, you know, you're, you live in Texas, the Kentucky Derby, the flowers, the horses, you see images of people well-dressed in hats and you're on Millionaire's Row. But if you're just a guy from Texas, you don't get sent to Millionaire's Row. You get sent somewhere else in the, the bottom of Churchill Downs. I didn't see that. I just saw that. Went there with my dad. I remember coming up here thinking, what's the big deal? This place is a dump. If that's all you ever saw, you would think it was a dump, right? I mean, have you ever, have you ever been so excited to see something and drove a long way to see it and go, what's this? I want to think about this for a minute. So these magi, they travel for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of miles for days upon days and they go into the palace of the king. And then they leave to find the real king. And they get to Bethlehem. And they meet a little boy named Jesus. A normal, ordinary family. Living in a normal, ordinary house. And you would think they would go, gee whiz. We traveled all this way just to see, this is the king living in this place? But they could see it. They were absolutely overjoyed and overwhelmed to the point it says in the text, in the text that they fell on their knees and began to worship him. Why? Let those who I have eyes to see and ears to hear. Because they saw an image of who God is and that God had come into the world to deliver us from Herod. To set us free from selfishness and sin and greed. That he was born not in a palace, 
foot in a stable. That's why we have to hear the whole story. Because if we don't hear the whole story, we don't know the truth. The amazing things that God does. Does that, when you listen to it, it just, it just fills my heart with joy. It makes me happy. It gives me, a, from the song, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore You, it gives me a sense of immortal gladness. You can't take that away from me once you get it, once you understand that God is truly with us in this way. You know, how can we not be overjoyed in the remarkable birth of a Savior who was born in the midst of everyday life that we are a part of? People who struggle and worry or afraid gripped by greed and selfishness and sinfulness. How can we not be overjoyed? Because that's the story that we need to hear.